0: My name is Michael. I'm one of the clergy here. And I don't know if this is a good way to start a sermon. It probably might be a bad way to start a sermon. You all have to let me know. But as I was preparing for the sermon this week, none of the texts really jumped out to me. Like some sermons almost write themselves and some you have to labor over. And when I was looking at the text this week, I didn't get excited about any of the texts in a way that would, I'd want to preach about. There were things about them that I loved but I wasn't like, oh man, I can't wait to preach on this. Uh, and that might not be a good introduction. They teach you that your introduction should be something that grabs the attention of the audience such that they're going to be on the edge of their seat to listen for the rest of the time. And I just told you I was not grabbed. Um, Until I noticed one thing. Um, uh, When the Bible repeats a word a few times in a single passage, it's often good to pay attention to what that word is. Uh, So if you open up your Bibles to page 907, that's where the John reading is. And let's see if we can find that word. At the very beginning, it's repeated twice. Twice. And at the end of the passage, it's repeated again once more. Can you find out which word that was? Yeah, so at the very beginning, two times it says Jesus revealed himself or he was revealed to the disciples. It says Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. Then it says he revealed himself in this way. And then at the end of it, it says, this was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples. And I think that's an easy word to skip over because it can be like, okay, we get it. This is just another way that Jesus is making an appearance after his resurrection. And as much as we shouldn't skip over someone rising from the dead and walking around, it's easy to see that word and be like, oh, yeah, this is just another one of those things. But that's not how this word is used throughout the Gospel of John. It's not used to just appear to someone. In John chapter 1, when it's talking about John the Baptist, it said that John the Baptist was baptizing people so that Jesus might be revealed to Israel. In John chapter 2, before Jesus turns water into wine, it said that Jesus, these signs that he was doing so that he might reveal himself so that his disciples would believe. And in John chapter 17, when he's praying to God before his arrest, he says, God, I revealed you to the disciples. He says, I revealed you, Father, to these people. And so when the evangelist is using this word reveal, it's in a very specific way in the sense of revelation, it's revealing something that was previously unknown. And so something about how Jesus made this appearance is revealing who he is, both to the disciples and to us. And I think that it has lots of implications for how we see ourselves in relation to God and how we go about living our life with God. So let's see how Jesus reveals himself here in this passage. I think the first way that he reveals himself is he reveals himself as someone who meets his disciples where they are. So the Gospel of John in some way is like the Marvel movies. And if you don't know what those are, just ask one of the youth in the church and they'd probably be happy to tell you. But there have been almost, <laughs> Eli is volunteering himself right there. Um, there are almost 30 of these movies that have been made. They tell this overarching saga of different superheroes. And they each stand alone. If you haven't seen any of them, you go and watch one, you should be able to follow the story. But it alludes to things from movies that have gone before it. And the Gospel of John is a standalone gospel. You cannot have read any of the other Gospels and still know what it's talking about. But lots of scholars will talk about how it seems that the author of John almost assumes that you have certain background knowledge of things that happened in the other Gospels. And we see that a few times in our reading. One of the times is right here. where at the very end of Mark and at Matthew when Jesus appears to... Uh, the women, he tells them, go tell the disciples that I will meet them in Galilee. And so here we have the disciples who've done just that. They've obeyed this instruction that they got through the, the woman and they've gone to, to, to Galilee. So they've followed him in that sense, but you can almost imagine if they had got there and uh, full of anticipation and then a few hours pass and then maybe a few days pass And so they just go back to doing what they knew best. A lot of them were fishermen before they started following Jesus. And so they do what they know how to do. They go and fish. And Jesus meets them not in the middle of like an intense prayer session. He doesn't meet them as they were like having a moment of silent meditation. He meets them in the daily activity as they were fishing. And I think that's a good challenge for some of us. I think that it's easy for us to think that, man, I have to like be doing spiritual things for God to meet me or for me to encounter God. I have to like be reading my Bible or be in church or be in prayer. But the reality is that God always meets us where we are and he will never meet us anywhere else. And granted, like, the disciplines of reading your Bible and prayer, those things are very valuable. And I think that they help me see how God meets me in the rest of life more easily. But the reality is God will only meet us where we are. We see that here with the disciples. We saw that earlier in his other appearances too. When he appeared to Mary Magdalene earlier in the Gospel of John, she was in the midst of grief. When he appeared to the disciples for the first time, they were in the midst of fear. And then when he appeared to the disciples again, Thomas was in the midst of doubt. We don't have to be in a special place for God to encounter us. He meets us where we are. And so that means you don't have to wait to get your life together in order to know God or to follow God. It means that it doesn't matter if you feel stuck or if you, have, if you feel like, man, I've drifted far away from God. God will meet you where you are if only we have eyes t- to see. And so how does he meet us where we are? If, if we see what Jesus' first words to them are, it's, it's children and Notice when he says this, he doesn't say it like after they had listened to him, cast the net in the right spot, got this huge catch of fish. It's not like, oh, you caught a lot of fish, you did what I asked, now you are my children. He does it before they have done anything. He has never called them children at any other point in the Gospels, but now he does because His first words for them are not of condemnation, but they're of peace. Because he received their condemnation so they can receive the peace of God, which he extended to them in the last chapter. Because of that, they are now welcomed in as children of God because Jesus was cast out. And this word children, to add extra emphasis to this, one of the greek dictionaries says that this word that's used for child the sense of it is yes obviously sometimes it's used for actual children but the disciples aren't the literal children of jesus and so the sense of it is they are treasured as children like a parent would treasure their child that is how jesus sees these people as he meets them where they are. He treasures them. And that could be a whole sermon on itself, but Jesus meets us where we are, and because of his work, he treasures us as his children, even before we have done anything. But he also reveals himself in another way besides the fact that he meets us where we are. When Jesus encounters us where we are, he invites us to join him in his work. And I think this is another thing where we can call back on knowledge from other Gospels. When uh, Peter is first called, you might remember the phrase like where he was fishing and then Jesus says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So Jesus reframes this work that Peter was doing. And so I think in a similar way here, once Jesus meets Peter, Peter, in his mundane work, it's transformed and his work becomes a place where he can encounter God. And as such, I think as we read the rest of this passage, it's almost like an enacted parable of how we meet God in our work, how we work unto God. So what does that look like here? How does Jesus not only meet us where we are, but invite us into his work. Well, we'll see at the beginning of this passage, they've toiled all night. And they have nothing to show for it. And they've toiled all night and they've done it apart from Christ. This is like a very real representation of how in John 15, Jesus says that he is uh, the vine and we are the branches. And apart from him, we can do nothing. If we're going about our work, be it our uh, day job from Monday to Friday, be it loving our friends and family, uh, be it in in ministry, if we're doing that apart from Christ, it's going to get real hard real quick. And it's going to be toilsome. But what happens once Jesus enters into the picture and once they recognize how Jesus is inviting them into Jesus' work, it becomes much more fruitful. All, All of a sudden, they cast out their nets, and they have a catch that's greater than they could possibly imagine. So we see that as Jesus invites us into work with him, that we can't do that apart from him. And I think one way to reinforce that is some prepositions. So oftentimes we think about working for God. I'm doing work for Jesus. Now if you're working for someone, you don't have to be with them. Your boss can be in an office down the hall in a different state. They don't have to be there if you're just working for them. But if you're working with someone, in some way you have to be collaborating with them, in some way they have to be present with you. And I think that's a helpful way that we can reframe how we think about doing work unto God, is that we're working with God. We're not doing it all our own. That means we're joining him in the ways in which he is already at work in our lives. And so Jesus meets the disciples where they're at, And he invites them uh, into work with him. He invites and empowers them to join in his work with them. And what happens as a result of this? They come back to the shore and they have a meal together. They get to commune with God. They get to enjoy one another's company and one another's presence. And it's that in a redemptive way. Jesus says that, or John says that Jesus had a charcoal fire prepared for them. The last time that we ever read about a charcoal fire in the Gospel of John was when Peter was warming himself by one after he had just denied Jesus three times. And here after Jesus meets Peter and the disciples where he is, invites and empowers them to join him in his work, they get to come and feast together and old scars are redeemed as they enjoy one another's presence and company in communion. So Jesus reveals himself as someone who meets us where we are, he Reveals himself as one who invites and empowers us to join him in his work. And as we see that and respond to it, we have the opportunity to commune with him in ways that redeem some of our deepest hurts. That we'll see as we read on here in the Gospel of John. And so what does that mean for us? If this is who Jesus is, as he's revealing himself here in this passage. I think one is we have to acknowledge that God meets us where we are. It's so easy to have false beliefs about what we have to do in order to merit God's acceptance or to merit God's approval. Or we might have false beliefs about God is not the kind of person who would welcome someone like me. But in this passage, Jesus meets the disciples where they are. And so the first thing is we have to think about how does that challenge our view of who God is and our view of who I am. But second, we have to, like the beloved disciple here, cultivate eyes to recognize Jesus. If Jesus meets us where we are, then that means no matter where we are in our day or in our week, if we're at a high or a low point, that God is calling out to us in some way and we can be with him. And so the second thing is we have to be like John and ask God for eyes to see, show me how you are with me. Show me how you are working through my circumstances to reveal yourself to me. And then we have to, we're invited to respond like Peter For some of us, we have to probably, the go-getters in the room, we probably have to be more like John. We always want to go and do things and do everything and might like forget about how God is involved. For some of us, we have to be more like John and ask, God, how are you with me in this? For some of us, we have to be more like Peter. And we like are contemplative types that we enjoy to sit and pray and be still and see how God is with us. But then we have to go join God in the work that he's calling us to do. But I want to just, at the end here, draw one uh, emphasis to how Peter responds. And this is, again, how it contrasts this with something that happened in one of the earlier Gospels. So there are a lot of parallels between this passage here and the calling of Peter in the Gospel of Luke. It's in Luke 5. You can go and and check it out at home sometime this week. In that gospel, just like this, the would-be disciples had been working all night and have caught no fish. Just like this, the sons of Zebedee are with Peter. Just like this, Jesus then tells them where to cast their nets in a way that you'd think, why would anything different happen? And just like this, there's an unbelievable catch of fish. But there's one difference that really stands out to me, and that's the response of Peter. In both of them, you have a dramatic response from Peter. That's kind of the guy who he is, right? But at his call in Luke chapter 5, his response, he says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. He sees who Jesus is and he's like, I cannot be with him. I got to get away. There is no way. And yet here, probably more so than then, he has much more reason to know how he's a sinner, right? Like how we just talked about, he denied Jesus three times. And yet his response here is he can't wait to go and be with Jesus to be in the presence of Jesus and to join him in his work. And so may we, having eyes to see like John, see how God meets us where we are, and having a changed view of ourselves and God like Peter, be eager to join him in that. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that... um, You here reveal yourself as uh, a God who meets us where we are and invites and empowers us to join with you in your work. Please give, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, Lord, how you are with us each and every day. And teach us, like Peter, to when we are aware of your presence, run to you instead of running away from you, to know the joy that comes with being in your presence. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.